Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. An Elio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith and I am The Alarmist. everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing the death of disco, also known as Disco Demolition Night. Here's what you need to know. The late 1960s to early 70s were a time of turmoil in United States history. 
the civil rights movement had suffered a massive setback with the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. The Stonewall riots highlighted the need for social and legal reform for LGBTQ people. Vietnam War protests were commonplace, and the country was entering an economic slump for the first time after a decade of significant financial growth. Yet, Underneath the country's turbulence, an underground music scene was emerging with a new sound that evoked a message of love, unity, and acceptance. Disco. Inspired by funk, R&B, soul, and salsa, Disco music was dance music, and black artists pioneered its early sounds. Initially ignored by radio, disco received its first significant exposure in DJ-based underground clubs that catered to black, gay, and Latino dancers. Songs like The Hughes Corporation, Rock the Boat, and Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive became anthems of gay culture, communities of color, and those who felt marginalized. By the mid-1970s, disco had emerged into the mainstream scene, and it seemed to be an unstoppable force. In 1977, Saturday Night Fever, starring a young John Travolta, premiered. It was a massive commercial success. 15 million copies of Saturday Night Fever sold in the U.S. alone, making it the top-selling soundtrack album of its time. It also won Album of the Year at the 1978 Grammy Awards. Realizing the genre could be capitalized on, the number of discos in the country tripled. Over 200 radio stations changed to an all-disco format. White artists had already jumped on the disco wagon, but now even rock bands like Kiss and the Eagles put out disco singles. The market was completely saturated. And then came the backlash. It was the summer of 1979. People around the world were living in a boogie wonderland. Except 24-year-old disc jockey Steve Dahl. Dahl had just been fired from a Chicago radio station when it too went all disco. Mad and bitter, Dahl got a new job at a rival rock station. Soon after, he took to destroying disco records on air by scratching them with a needle and playing an explosion sound effect. And as it turned out, he gained quite a following. Dahl encouraged like-minded haters out there to join his anti-disco organization, the Insane Coho Lips. Pretty soon, Dahl's radio diatribes caught the attention of Chicago White Sox promotions director, Mike Veek. At the time, the White Sox only averaged 16,000 fans a game, just a quarter of the seating capacity at Comiskey Park. Veek, along with Dahl, came up with a promotional event to help the struggling baseball team fill up seats. On July 12, 1979, fans were told to bring a disco record to a Thursday night doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers. Those who brought records could gain entrance to the park for just 98 cents. Upwards of 90,000 people showed up, and most of the crowd was white. 
Ushers noticed that the majority of albums collected were by black artists, and many of them weren't even disco. What transpired was to be known as Disco Demolition Night. After the White Sox lost the first game, a large crate full to the brim with records was brought out onto the field. Dahl, dressed in a military jacket and a combat helmet, led the fans in a Disco Sucks chant. Then, he blew up the crate. The explosion was loud and chilling. Records shattered. Shrapnel flew everywhere. Suddenly, the crowd rushed to the field. People threw bottles and fireworks. They started going over walls and sliding down the foul poles. They lit things on fire and literally stole the bases. Local news broadcasts tried to make sense of the madness that had transpired that night as viewers at home watched in horror. But for queer, black, and Latinx folk, the message was clear. We don't want you here. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats According to Riot Fest, although organizers were expecting attendance to hit around 20,000 people, over 50,000 packed the stadium. Even as officials closed off the main gates, disco-hating Chicagoans still managed to jump fences, slip through security, and find their way inside Comiskey Park. It's possible that there were upwards of 70 to 90,000 people who showed up for the event. Many of those turned away gathered outside the park's gate. According to Chicago Magazine, 39 fans were arrested on charges of disorderly conduct. A half dozen injuries were reported, and the damage to the field was extensive. Though it was supposed to be a doubleheader, the White Sox had to forfeit the second game. It was just the fourth forfeiture in modern MLB history. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Alarmy. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hey, guys. And that's it, guys. It's just the three of us, the OG. We're here as fact checker and producer and also as guests. And I'm excited to spend this quality time with just my two besties, the Alarmy and the Alarmy. You know, we don't get to ask you guys this very often because we usually ask our guests, but is there something that's alarming you these <gasps> days? I will say we had some rain and I am alarmed <laughs> by a leak in our roof um, <gasps> that we had, that we found last night. So we do have no. a leak, and we had to put a big bowl under it like you see in the movies. I'm a little alarmed by the rain, too, because we are currently in Montreal, and we have uh, our house in um, Altadena. And when they were doing construction in the garage, one of the construction workers like spooked me by saying, like, you know, the land level is like too high. It's like up against your house, and like when it rains, like you know, this could happen or that could happen. And now like we're getting torrential downpours and like, I can't be there. You think to, our like, house is going to slide away? I'm just like nervous <laughs> we're going to show up there and it's just going to be like, yeah, exactly. 
I mean, that happens. Wow. House, we should do a mudslide episode sometime. But oh gosh, house, that was something I wasn't alarmed about, and now I can only think of. I am very alarmed about mudslides because that I was like had to Google like how do people die in mudslides? I don't really understand. And apparently, the mud it just comes in through your house and washes you away like a tsunami. Oh, that is scary. That's scary, and it happens quickly. So, I, I mean, a lot to be alarmed about. I'm alarmed by the fact that Chris didn't try to uh, do his Montreal accent when he said the word Montreal. We've actually had some listeners write in about that. That had a real effect on me. <laughs> what did they say? Are they ma- mad? One of, the or one of the listeners said something I had, some, someone uh, said in French I accent. had messed up someone's name. And they said uh, it wasn't that bad. Uh, not as bad as Chris's attempt at saying Montreal with the Montreal accent. Oh, let's hear it again. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's just Montreal. Montreal. <laughs> but I, I was saying Montreal. Like I was throwing in like a little hockaloogie in there. I think it's all pretty offensive. It's just sort of which is less offensive. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw in the towel, say, look, I'm just... Uh, I'm an American up here in little Paris mm. and, uh, and I'll just, just use my American accent. I'll stop trying to fit in. Yeah. Apologies to all of Montreal for Chris's bad accent. So now we have to talk about disco. Are you guys disco fans? Historically? No. And only because, you know, I'm a child of the nineties. Mm. And so growing up the seventies, like everyone just looked really tan and kind of sweaty to me. And it scared me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also the songs by that time were kind of hack. Mm. And so I was not a fan But as I've gotten older, I have come to really appreciate disco. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not a disco fan per se, but, you know, it's interesting because, and I'm sure we'll get more into this, is that disco is more of a lifestyle than it is a music. (laughs) I mean, there's music there, but you don't like turn on disco music like in the middle of the day just to like listen to the music. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it is a lifestyle. Yeah. You you have to be in a club. You've got to be kind of dressed for the occasion. You've Uh got to be coked out of your skull. I believe you don't have to. You don't have to be, but (laughs) it's good when drugs are involved. Let's say that. The clothes seem expensive, and also the clothes are, and my personal style is such that I like clothes that are versatile, Mm. that you can wear to more than one occasion. And it seems like, and I haven't done the research on this, but that's why why the alarmy loves me, is... (laughs) Because I would have to buy clothes just to suit that specific occasion that really wouldn't suit any other specific mm, occasion. Like so, a lot of polyester. I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm a big disco fan. Wow. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up listening to disco because my parents were of the disco generation and they were extreme fanatics. So amazing. (laughs) They actually met on uh, at a dance at a disco dance. Yes. (laughs) To be a fly on the wall. I know. And and they're very good disco dancers. So when we were kids, you know, we would dance salsa and then my dad would put this was like on a night, like a like a Friday night at home, just me and my brother. My dad would put the disco music on, and he taught us how to dance disco with him. You know, I, I love Donna Summer. 
I, I like all of it. I like the, you know, OG stuff. And I also like later disco, which was, you know, much more commercialized. Like I could, I'll watch any ABBA movie. I'll watch any ABBA. Oh, I know. forgot about ABBA. I'm a huge ABBA fan. But you're talking, you like the commercialized disco, like Disco Duck? Have you I heard like, of Disco Duck? No. Disco <laughs> no, Duck. No, what's Disco Duck? I, I guess Disco Duck was when disco got really commercialized. And so this big duck um, started doing disco songs. <laughs> songs and what? did it more for like kids <laughs> didn't sesame street do disco as well i'm pretty sure they came out with a, a disco album everyone was doing disco and i get it it gets lame after all when everyone's doing it but that's something you should know about me i love things that are extremely popular <laughs> so this is why to me learning about this disco demolition night which I didn't know about beforehand. It was devastating because it felt like who knows what disco could have become. I think we should start off by putting Steve Dahl up on the board. He was the DJ, as you recall, who, you know, started this like, quote, disco sucks movement. Now, according to NPR, Over the years, Disco Demolition came to be seen as a not-so-subtle attack against Disco's early adopters, Blacks, Latinos, and gay people. Dahl, who helped write the new book, calls this revisionist history. (laughs) Dahl says it so himself. When you see the images of Disco Demolition, it looks like a book burning, he says. But it really wasn't like that. I didn't know what I was tapping into, honestly, Dahl says. It obviously threatened a certain group of rockers. Now, Hmm. according to WBUR, Dahl started holding death-to-disco rallies at nightclubs. He even hit the airwaves with his own 45 single, a parody of Rod Stewart's disco mega-hit, do you think uh, do you think I'm sexy? Classic. Rod Stewart, The Stones, a lot of mainstream rock, rock and roll acts were putting out disco records, Dahl says. I th- I think that there was a feeling of disenfranchisement by the kids wearing the blue jeans and the rock and roll t-shirts. Hmm. <sighs> now, this feels like some bullshit. Uh, according to an article on the uh, in the Guardian, to this day, Dahl remains defiant. He made his posi- position clear in the 2016 book Disco Demolition, The Night Disco Died. I'm worn out f- from defending myself as a racist homophobe, he wrote. The event was not anti-racist, not anti-gay. We were just kids pissing on a musical genre. Moreover, he was defending the Chicago rock and roll lifestyle for, from an unwanted musical invasion. The rise of disco to mainstream success on the back of Saturday Night Fever's unexpected success was repudiation of all things rough, like rock and roll and bar nights, and demeaned the ordinary life that kids inhabited. This is problematic on so many levels. So I've already added, of course, we've got Steve Dahl on the board. I also added the Chicago rock and roll lifestyle because (laughs) that is so stupid. And this reminds me a lot of our Cats episode where people like to make fun and shit on things that are um, targeted and enjoyed by groups that aren't like the majority, you know? So like, like cats, you know, like that was sort of, well, I don't know really who likes cats. 
<laughs> you. You're but like, we talked about Taylor Swift in the Taylor Swift Kanye yes. episode too, where it's like we like to make fun of things for young girls. We like to make fun of things for gay people, for any minority. So I just think like Steve Dahl is at least giving him a lot of credit and grace. He is subconsciously racist and homophobic. And then more likely he's just lying. Totally. And what a loser. Yeah. What I'm sorry, but to go up and and just like, say disco sucks because uh, just to lead a chant like what a loser well (laughs) it also seems like maybe we should consider putting up a man's frail ego on the board because i think that obviously he lost his job because his boss was like okay the station now just plays disco right Mm -hmm. and so you're no longer needed like that w- that became the chip on his shoulder one one wonders like if he was at another radio station or had another job entirely where he could continue working and you know and there's nothing wrong with somebody who wants to you know live the rock, rock and roll lifestyle and sort of promote <laughs> it and write about it and just sort totally. of exist there and so if he just continued on his way like would he be such a vocal disco basher yeah and and like if it was someone who then never got a job in radio and like that was his moment and it was taken away like I could understand maybe his bitterness or his anger toward the genre but and 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 maybe like he in in like private company was like you know would say disco sucks whatever you don't have to like everything but to like go out and create anti-disco organization and this guy like got a job pretty easily and he's still on the radio radio i'm pretty sure maybe mm, uh mm. you should check that chris oh yeah but, let us know what he's up to yeah but like he he had a long career in this and it, it's just um it, it's so upsetting he's using a lot i mean there's a lot of coded language he's just throwing around which we'll talk about this but i love what you said chris about um man's frail ego i think that should oh, definitely yeah. go up on the board Um, Along with toxic masculinity, are we going that route? (laughs) I was going to put toxic masculinity, but for another reason. So maybe we'll talk about that now. According to uh, this Guardian article, 40 years on, disco demolition remains one of the most controversial events in pop history. Last month, when the White Sox commemorated its anniversary, it attracted widespread criticism from Billboard, to Vice and The Economist. This was in 2019 that they did that. Of a kind that was absent in 1979. Then, only Dave Marsh of Rolling Stone suggested that there was something distinctly ugly about the vast crowd of white men publicly destroying music predominantly made by black artists, dominated by female stars, and with a core audience that was at least initially largely gay. White males 18 to 35 are the are the most likely to see disco as the product of homosexuals, blacks and Latins and to respond to appeals to wipe out such threats to their security. That's like really crappy that the White Sox, even in 2019, like still haven't gotten that death to disco night wasn't cool. Yeah. Hello. Like, (laughs) 
But I'm assuming the White Sox is an organization that's run predominantly by white men. I'm putting Chris? them on the board. We oh, know the boy. answer already. We don't even have to, of course it <laughs> is. Um, yeah, sorry. So he's been working. Yeah, like it, they didn't like take his job away and he didn't. He actually became like since the that death to disco night, he got sort of more popular because of his, you know, he became known as sort of like more of a shock jock and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it definitely helped him in his career. So it, we could also blame PR stunts. I know we talked yeah. about that previously. Oh, yes, but, we but have. It seems like that could be what we're eyeing, what we're looking at here, because, you know, I think there's horrible implications going on with that. And and not only that, but it's just like anything where you form an identity by being anti something else is just to me so lame. Like, so I also want to put shock jock shock jocks up on the, on the board because oh, okay. it, that is, it feels like he was going for that too. So if let's say he pretended to hate disco more than he really did, that's even worse. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, Definitely. I don't know. I, I think he probably did hate disco that much. But that, that kind of idea where it's like, let's, you know, let's just say things to, like, get people riled up. You know? That's problematic. You know, on second thought, it's like... <laughs> not what? on second thought, but, like, I... I Okay, so, like, there are movies that I'm like, okay, if you like this movie, like, I don't know what to do. Like, you're not, you can't be, we can't be friends. Like, you can't. Oh, God. What movies? I know. Because I probably don't like them. Or I probably do like them. No, no, no. I, I guess I'm just saying, like, I understand the passion of why somebody would... Especially it's, in the music okay, industry. It's, it's, there's a difference. There's a massive difference between being action. passionate about like something you don't like or being like uh, expressive about something you don't like versus starting an anti-disco organization and selling <laughs> shirts that say disco sucks. Yeah, that's yeah. What, extreme. That's extreme. And I guess that's the distinction I'm trying to make is that when you sort of make it part of your identity, yeah. that's when you go too far. It's right. like, I'm anti this. Okay, that's all. So let's talk about Mike Veek. So I think we should put him up on the vo- board. He's the uh, White Sox promotion uh, uh, pr- promotional director. According to Riot Fest, in an attempt to capitalize on the increasing resentment and to fill seats during a disappointing Chicago White Sox season, Mike Veek, White Sox promotions director and local Chicago DJ Steve Dahl, proposed an anti-disco promotion. What initially seemed like a harmless ploy to tap into some South Side fieriness and sell a few extra tickets became baseball, and music lore. Veek was famous for his creative promotions, including a pyrotechnic scoreboard and a shower near Comiskey, uh, Comiskey's center field bleachers. But in 1979, neither fireworks nor personal hygiene drew hordes of fans. We were not doing well, says Bill's son, Mike Veek. Oh, so he's the owner's son. Um, this is weird. <laughs> Sorry that he thought a shower was going to yeah, bring was just gonna people look into in. That. Like, yeah. you're, you're like <laughs> disco sucks, but I'll tell you what's super cool is like sh- free showers. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're, I don't know. That's I guess odd. if you're, you're at the baseball game for long enough and you feel like you need to freshen up. <laughs> okay. I'm going to look this up. 
Um, okay, so uh, going, uh, Chris is going to double check on that. In 1979, Mike Veek was the White Sox assistant business manager and promotional uh, promotion director at, at a season midpoint. The White Sox were 35 to 45. The team was drawing fewer than 10,000 fans per game. The poor attendance called for more creative extreme measures. While the White Sox struggled, disco was at the peak of its popularity. It was everywhere, in movies, nightclubs, clothing shops, and on the radio. The genre had grown far beyond its more obscure beginnings in the mid-70s, uh, and it was popular amongst a lot of people. Veek is the one who presented the idea to Dahl. Here's my question. Was baseball jealous of disco? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Should we put jealousy, ba- baseball's jealousy, up there? Yeah, okay. definitely. We we need to talk about their their just like pursuit for profit. Or, I mean, we, I know we already have the White Sox up there. Another reason why we should put the White Sox up there was because you know I guess they just weren't cool enough to get people to come watch them play. Well, this is why I do think we should put greed up on the board. Because greed, yes, because the White Sox did this publicity stunt along with Dahl and Veek in order to what, like, probably at the end of the day, like somehow get money and get more attention. I also think we need to put greed up because there is an issue with the commercialization and almost like the... I don't know, exploitation of disco. Because when it started, mm. it was cool. And it was cool because it was obscure. And it be- it belonged to Latinos and um, gay people and black people. And then I feel like mainstream white culture came along and like took it and just it was suddenly everywhere. And yeah. that's when the tide of public opinion turned on it was like after the Bee Gees 100th disco number one hit, right. like after the six- wild success of John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever. So I do think there's greed actually on both sides of the equation. Yes, Amanda, you're reminding me of this incredible, uh, it's this that 1619 podcast. There's an episode, I think it's like the third episode where they talk about music and how all of these black artists actually were the um, were the pioneers of so many of, of like our American music and they never got any of the credit, you know? And this is exactly what we're seeing here. Even the Bee Gees, like honestly, if you listen to the Bee Gees music before 1971, it's a totally different sound. They yes. don't sound like the Bee Gees no, we know. No, they weren't disky, disco. They no. Weren't disky. They weren't disco <laughs> at all because they weren't doing their iconic, is it falsetto, when they go like... But in defense of the Bee Gees, I think they actually, their, their intentions were really pure. They really just no. liked the sound. But I do think we need to put the Bee Gees on the board because yes. they were so popular that people couldn't take it. And anytime something is that mainstream, there's going to be a backlash. So yes, I'm putting, I, yeah, Saturday Night Gees, Fever too. Yeah, Saturday Night Fever slash the Bee Gees, really. Because yeah. they're they're essentially that out. Al- they make that album. Yeah. Um, and I, it's not a slam on the Bee Gees, right? Because they did their music, right? What's what sucks when you look at these situations is how white artists become so successful and the black artists don't. 
So it really comes down to money. Yeah, although there were weren't there a lot of successful, very popular black disco artists. There also? were. Um, there there were uh, very. I mean, Donna Summer. I mean, mm-hmm. she's a she's an icon mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And Gloria Gaynor was extremely popular. And look, but all I'm saying is that what Saturday Night Live did too, which was that it changed the look. Not Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Fever. When Lauren Michaels came along. No, no, no. And put on those belt We don't talk bad about Lauren Michaels on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, what Saturday Night Fever did was it kind of... um, not kind of it whitewashed disco yeah i i do think along with the bgs and um and saturday night fever we should put disco duck up on the board because (laughs) disco duck i think also took it over the edge where people started to really get upset so apparently disco duck i'm just reading from wikipedia is Uh a satirical disco novelty song performed by rick dees who um was still a disc jockey up until I don't know if he's still doing it. And his cast of idiots. At the time, Dee's was a Memphis disc jockey. It became a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 um, and ranked number 97 out of 100 most popular songs of the year in 76. So I think that Disco Duck, because it was like this ultimate like commercialization and it was so novelty and so lame that people just couldn't take it. Let's put let's put that duck up on the board. And you know I'd love to see a little disco duck in the alarmist jail. <laughs> now, we have to talk about racism and homophobia. Oh, yes. These have to go up on the board. According to WBUR, uh, they're speaking of, uh, about Mike Veek. This is a quote from Mike, Mike Veek. Uh, what angers me, he says, it had simply to do with choosing between rock and roll and disco and dance clubs. It was a little bit deeper than we're just having a good time, Darlene Jackson says. Today, she's also known as DJ Lady D. She's also well known, uh, a well-known house music DJ in Chicago, and she was 10 years old on Disco Demolition Night. Her favorite music then was disco, and when she saw the news reports featuring images of Steve Dahl in a military outfit, disco sucks banners, white rioters, and smoldering piles of vinyl, she heard the message. I think part of what Steve tapped into was a little bit of this unspoken transcript that this is the music of black people, of gay people, of Latino people, and we should not accept it. We should not try to be a part of it. Jackson says, and so that's why people perceived it as homophobic and a racist event. The unspoken transcript, a lot of us heard it. Dahl then said, this is a quote from Dahl, I understand now that there was an underground uh, gay disco scene and all, but we were unaware of all of that. Dahl says, right. uh-huh. according to the Guardian, Lawrence, real, Lawrence, who was the usher, realized something wasn't right. People weren't just turning up with disco records, but anything made by, by a black artist. I said to my boss, hey, a lot of these records they're bringing aren't disco. They're R&B, they're funk. Should I make them go home and get a real disco record? <laughs> <laughs> He's four- Again, remember, this guy's 14 when this happened. I love him. 
his boss said, no, if they brought a record, take it. They get a ticket. He laughs. I want to say maybe the person bringing the record just made a mistake. But given the amount of mistakes I witnessed, why weren't there any air supply or cheap trick records in the bins? No carpenters records. They weren't rock and roll, right? It was just disco records and black records in the dumpster. Yeah, yeah, it's so clear. I think that we need to put perhaps Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. Mm. Okay, because was that a huge, that was obviously a huge hit. Massive, still, still massive success. And now let's take a quick break to speak with guest expert, Dr. Nadine Hubbs. She's a professor of women and gender studies and music at the University of Michigan, as well as the author of Rednecks, Queers, and Country Music. We've, we have Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive is released in 1978. Now, what is it about the song that connected with disco fans? How did it become, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's a, a disco anthem? Oh, and I've, yeah, absolutely. It's a disco anthem, and it is perhaps the greatest gay disco anthem mm-hmm. uh, among uh, a number of songs that could be named here. There's Sylvester's You Make Me Feel Mighty Real, which also came out in 1979, was not as big in the mainstream, but was huge in the gay clubs. The Weather Girls in 1982 released It's Raining Men, and that's a huge gay anthem. And if you drop the needle on that record in a gay club, even up to now, everyone's out on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and we could name a few others, but I Will Survive is arguably the greatest of all gay disco anthems. Disco had had made a kind of coalition around shared experiences of difference, uh, including stigmatization and marginalization, invisibilization. And this point had not been lost on, on these guys in Comiskey Park. As, as that night, it's near riot suggests, some saw in disco not just blacks and Latinos and queers and women, but blacks and Latinos and queers Don't miss and our women full interview come with to, Dr. coming Hubs together on in Thursday's ecstasy. aftermath episode. Now back to our conversation. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, so what, anything, anything else we want to get up here? I feel pretty good. I mean, last thing I would put up on there is WLUP, which was the station, the rock station that gave Steve Dahl a job and let him do all the uh, record breaking on air. Chris, do you have anything else to add? Haters? I think haters is great because I was trying to think of how do you... What is this that's our innate desire to take something down that's popular? And I think haters is like totally encapsulates that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's read our list, baby. Okay. Who's the blame for the death of disco? Steve Dahl, the Chicago rock and roll lifestyle, man's frail ego, toxic masculinity, the White Sox, PR stunts, shock jocks, Mike Veek, baseball's jealousy of disco, <laughs> greed, Bee Gees slash Saturday Night Fever, the disco duck, racism, homophobia, Gloria Gaynor, and I Will Survive, WLUP, rock station that gave Steve Dahl a job, or haters. Okay, what do we even take off? I guess this is a part where we start folding things in because all of these, like we could put shock jocks into this, the radio station. Yeah, I think. Or vice versa. Maybe the radio station wanted shock jocks, right? So let's, let's fold the radio station into shock jocks. That's good. Um, um, we could put PR stunts into shock jocks um, or we could vice versa. Yeah, there's something about like the greed that goes into greed, right? Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, because and just to take a sort of wider approach about this, it's like what we're really talking about, like because disco doesn't ha- is didn't die. Disco still l- lives. Disco still lives. It's, <laughs> disco it, lives. It, it, I mean, disco, disco lives. lives, but not you well, know. It's, it's the, like let me live, but like you know, it, well, it's. It's trying to survive, just it's, like Gloria Gaynor. It's taken on different <laughs> forms. What, what do we want to blame more? Like the upswing of disco that made it more popular? Because uh, I mean, if that's the, the case, then you might want to blame like whatever, the Bee Gees or Saturday Night well, Fever. Well, I, sort of I think taking advantage of the popularity. I think we have to acknowledge both the upswing caused the downswing. Yep. So I think that they're both important. I think so too. And I just hearing you speak made me realize that we didn't put fear up on the board, like fear of losing, you know, these, these rock quote, you know, rock and rollers. What are they so afraid of? Well, to me, that's kind of white entitlement, which could 
go into racism. Right. Fear but of dancing. I, <laughs> like, but like fear of, yeah, because, you know, all of these songs are being played at the gay club, you know, fear that fear that you might realize that you're not as important as you really are. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I think that's good. I also think we missed an opportunity to put the fashion industry up here because I think <laughs> part of that fear was based that? in, like Chris was saying at the beginning, the extreme disco fashions, which I personally oh, love. But I think too. that that some people saw that and said, like, I can never wear a polyester white jumpsuit. I'd be laughed out of the door. So well, yeah. I want to kill and disco. Just to be, and just to be clear, and yes, let's definitely put the fashion industry up on the board. But just to be clear, I never said that I don't like the disco uh, outfits. I find them to be fun, and but I just said they're not versatile enough for my <laughs> closet. And and let's face it, I you would look great in a disco anywhere. outfit. I, I would look great. You would, but I couldn't wear I couldn't wear them anywhere else but the disco <laughs> other than club. the disco. Okay, That's, no, I, that was. My I understand. Point. I understand. It's also you know time. It's a time period thing. Um, but sure. Um, so what are we going to take off the board? I mean, the White Sox could go into baseball's jealousy of disco or vice versa. Uh, yeah, I like wrapping the White Sox. Um, I think the White Sox can be rolled up into jealousy. I also think toxic masculinity can be rolled up into man's frail ego. Yes. I, I don't want to say this, but I think disco duck can get rolled into the Saturday night fever. Okay. And the Bee Gees. I see. So why don't we use the Saturday night fever as sort of the um, umbrella for like hmm. the Bee Gees, the disco duck, like that kind of is the backlash. Yeah. The oversaturation, right. the uh, commercialization. And I want to, I want to roll a lot into male man's frail ego i'm going to attempt to roll like six things in there okay I hit think us steve Dahl can be rolled into man's frail ego i think the <laughs> chicago rock and roll lifestyle can be rolled into man's that frail for ego. sure i don't know about I think steve Dahl. baseball's yeah. jealousy of disco yeah can be rolled into because what we're really talking yeah. about there is people feeling like their culture is being overwhelmed by somebody else's culture that doesn't you know what yeah, i mean and like how insane is that that you feel like you can't live in a world where disco and baseball are just as popular <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean why does it have to be one or the other yeah like, so and then i also think we should roll um racism and homophobia into man's frail ego uh i don't know about that mm. because there were there were women at the event too it wasn't just men I guess man in? is what we're talking about, just like the human, the humans, human. Oh, you mean ego. humans' I, frail ego? Uh, that's not what I, I, think, I think of. It's, when I no, think that's of man. What, no. <laughs> <laughs> when I hear man, I hear man. <laughs> yeah, I think um, almost. Um, I kind of would say, putting a pin in that for a second, we could roll up um, Mike Veek and Shock Jocks into Steve Dahl. Because I do think Dahl was sort of the instigator on the particular right. event. Okay. We're, I mean, we just have to at this point. These are, these are good, though. Yeah. I Will um, Survive, I think, can come off. Yes. Yes. It was, look, it was too good. They, mm. they can't help it. Haters. Fashion industry. Okay, so we've got Steve Dahl, Man's Frail Ego, Greed, S Saturday Night Fever, Racism and Homophobia could be one category. Uh, haters and fashion industry. 
Just yeah. because I feel like racism, and, they went hand in hand in this particular tragedy. Yeah. Events. Um, so what about the fashion industry that can be taken off now, I think? It goes into man's frail ego. I think you can yeah. fold that in. I also just want to make a note. I don't think this, I want to change anything, but tribalism, I think, is at play here. Because I think, you know, people, like, it sort of plays into the whole thing about you either or sort of like a binary sort of approach to anything, but particularly music, like it, you have to either like rock and roll or like disco is that's (laughs) like, I I don't like setting things up that way. And I think that people, people did do that. And that's, you know, I think misguided. You're just like, why, why, how about why there or? Why they're old. Also, what a sad life where you feel like I can only listen to rock and roll. Yeah, like, but I mean, you I are think that missing that's like, out. I think it plays into the same sort of ego, which is like frail ego, which is that I think what I was t- thinking about when I was talking about frail ego was like people's need to feel um, like an identity, like they, they need to f- identify with somebody. And I think that the category might be I might, what I might be talking about is tribalism. There. Mm-hmm. But, Interesting. We don't have to put that up there. I, I don't think it's sort well, of wrapped it, it into kind of still goes into the frail ego, ego I think. Yeah. Honestly, I'm narrowing in on haters because really? I, I don't know. Because to me, it's like if people just love to tear down something that is popular, and I feel like because there wasn't a backlash against disco when it was obscure, but maybe they were th- the haters were threatened because something that was beloved by. Uh, gays and black people became mainstream and that's why they were threatened and i I, in a way i feel like racism and homophobia that that still goes into the man's frail ego um and so does racism and homophobia okay let's roll that up then for this particular thing i mean right it starts with hating it it starts with hating because if they had only just been like oh why do i hate this much and i know i've said this before but one of the things, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to think about, I think my therapist said this to me, but it's like, really pay attention to the things you hate because it really says a lot about yourself. I, it's just like the things that bother you and other people, it's because you, you see them, you hate them you in either, yourself. You either hate them in yourself or you wish so badly that, or, or you see a, a deficiency in yourself. Oh, yes. I think that's what it is because all these people who hated disco, they secretly want to wear a polyester jumpsuit and they want to mm-hmm. express themselves through dance. I mean, who wouldn't? It's Dancing like, is the funnest thing <laughs> in the so world. Fun. It's so fun. So fun. So what if we also roll, well, I think we can take greed off because I actually think there was way more at play here than greed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we still we have Steve Dahl, Man's Frail Ego, and the sat, uh, Saturday Night Fever. Now, you know I have my issues with Saturday Night Fever, but it was still it was still the genre. It was still playing on the genre, and it was like if if uh, what am I trying to say here? Like if it had been against disco, I would hate it more, or I would be more mad at it. <laughs> Well, but, I, I understand, but the reason why I will, what I'm seeing here is the Saturday Night Fever saying sort of like this fever that swept the nation, this sort of need for more and more disco, like the commercialization of disco 
and I guess then that does go into greed is sort of what made people turn on it in a way. Right. Because you know, when you love something and then it goes mainstream, it is sad. Here's where my mind's at. I think we send man's frail ego to the alarmist jail and we give the slap to Steve Dahl. But I also hear what you're saying, Amanda. And I hear what you're saying, Chris, too, about, you know, when it goes, when things go mainstream, it gets ruined a little bit. But can you can you blame the fact that it was just so catchy and good and other people wanted in? Well, it's just interesting that, like, say, take country music, for example, right? Like country music um, had its early beginnings in like what's called old time music. And it was like people just like singing and in like and traveling. And then it like got on the radio and country music became super popular and it sort of survived. Like nobody talks about like the death of country music, um, in a way, in the same way they talk about the, um, death of disco or the death of punk, which by the way, uh, those are the only two musical genres I can think of that people say are, are dead punk and disco. Even though like, think about something like, I don't know, uh, like, uh, uh, uh Renaissance like, music is dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, like, I don't t- know about you. Yes. Well, I take your um, point though, Chris. So, and I think you're right that we should, that reframed it for me where that I feel like there was a world where disco could have just been popularized. And then like how I say, Oh, I like country music, but I like old country. So you could have said, I like disco, but I like real disco. Right. (laughs) You know? So I think we should, I, Rebecca, I like your plan and I'm totally down. Okay. For that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to call it Steve doll. You're getting the big slap. And a really big one. (laughs) Man's frail ego, you're going to the alarmist jail. Chris, how do you feel? Man's frail ego is gone. Um, Well, honestly, I feel like a little bit, my ego has been hurt a little bit. (laughs) And I'm going to dedicate my life to bringing down the alarmist podcast. Well, guys, I couldn't have done it without you. Literally, I needed I needed you to do to figure out who was to blame for the disco, the death of disco. So, thank you. Thank you, You're Rebecca. Welcome. And cue Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. In recent years, many have said that the Disco Demolition Night had a dark side, a side that many didn't see or didn't want to see 40 years ago. An apology would go a long way, but instead of apologizing, in 2019, the White Sox celebrated Disco Demolition Night's 40th anniversary. There were commemorative t-shirts, and Steve Dahl threw out the first pitch. When asked if he would throw another Disco Demolition Night today, Steve Dahl responded by saying, quote, You know, I would say, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a good idea, because, I mean, based on all that knowledge that I have now of how it affects people and upsets people and whatnot, it doesn't seem cool, I guess. As for Mike Veek, he told Chicago Magazine, quote, 
For 10 years, it was very painful for me. Steve Dahl's career took off. I couldn't get a job in baseball. I went to hang drywall in Florida. I got divorced. I never wanted to hear the phone ring again. Why do you think I disappeared at the bottom of a bottle for 10 years? My dad was the only person in the ballpark who understood exactly how I felt. But did disco really die that night? That's actually up for debate. Tune in to Thursday's Aftermath, where we'll be speaking to guest expert Dr. Nadine Hubbs to learn more about that. is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. And tune in next week for our special Valentine's Day episode. We'll be discussing who's to blame for the tragic deaths of Romeo and Juliet. Powered by ACAST.